Welcome to Solar Tech Talk, where we nerd out about solar and renewable energy technology and policy. I'm Aaron Bingham, product manager with Baywa RE. And I'm Tierney Marsh, sales manager at Baywa RE. Tierney, there has been a lot happening the last few months. Um, I, I mean, I guess, I guess it's only been weeks, so I'm saying months. It's been, <laughs> we've, we've seen some really big actions on NIM in the, in the last few weeks that we wanted to start off with. Yeah, as you know, as as a lot of our listeners are aware, there's been a lot of targeted action at NEM across the country this year, and especially in California, where um, NEM 3.0 is really coming under fire. There have been a number of utility actions in place to try to come up with that next step of what NEM would look like. And, and it's getting some pushback from CalSA and others. Aaron, what's the, what's the latest on that? Yeah, so there's been a new proposed decision uh, that's been released by the CP, the California Public Utilities Commission regarding net energy metering in its third iteration, so to speak. There were a lot of changes that were proposed in the in the last round of this step where there was a proposal made by the CPUC that uh, included a lot of fees for solar customers and a lot of other things It really made any PV installation energy or energy uh, storage installations pay back a lot worse. The new proposed decision got rid of a lot of the fees that were in the first round, but they still have cut down the average export rate compensation for, you know, solar customers who are able to send any power back out onto the grid by approximately 75%, uh, according mm -hmm. to some reporting that we saw from Solar Building Magazine. Um, and, and this is a huge cut that dramatically reduces uh, payback for customers and it increases risk associated with these installations. Yeah, I have to say that would be a bummer for our industry if that was passed, even if some of the specific fees that were originally proposed for solar users have been taken out of this proposal. Yeah, the way that the way that uh, CalSA talks about it, you know, this this proposal compared to the first one is, of course, better. But the first one was unquestionably bad. And this one is just uh, <laughs> like, you know, more moderately bad than than the first one. So, you know, it's it's improvement in increments, but there's still a really important conversation that folks um, need to make sure that they're participating both in California and around the country around net energy metering policy policies that are being proposed by their utilities uh, in, in, in their local areas. This is a this is going to have a huge impact on the PV installation market, especially the residential PV installation market. And there's there's a lot of expectation that if passed in its currently proposed format, NEM 3.0 in California would be a serious drag on California's adoption of solar technology in mass. Right. Yeah. So I think there's a pretty strong call to action here, and I think we're getting maybe a little redundant about it, but CALSA has been one of the forefront, the organizations at the forefront of this, of this charge in terms of making sure that solar and storage is available to people, specifically in California. But as we know, and as we've talked about, California is often the first domino in, in some policy changes. So get involved, check out what to see what CALSA's up to. Uh, you can check out their website and they have a specific page on uh, net energy metering and that's at calssa.org backslash NEM action. 
Yeah, that's a great place to go if, if you're looking to participate in the conversation in California. There are some great articles if you're interested in learning more that were published in Solar Builder magazine in the last couple of weeks here. Uh, one is Five Takeaways from California's NEM 3.0 Remix, published on November 11th. And then uh, there's another article in Solar Builder magazine that was published on November 10th titled uh, California Revised NEM 3.0 Decision Removes Fees But Cuts Average Export Rates by 75%. And that article has a, has a great breakdown of some of the changes in this latest uh, proposed decision that everyone should be aware of and be able to speak to and understand how it's going to impact their business. And if you're not in California, there's some other articles that might point you in the right direction in terms of what's happening in your state. Energy Toolbase came out with one recently called Solar Net Energy Metering Tariffs Are Under Threat Nationwide. So go and check that out at their website. All right. Yeah, this is an important space for us to be keeping an eye on. Another topic that I think is on everyone's mind in the industry is what are the impacts going to be of the Inflation Reduction Act? I, I know that uh, I've seen questions bubble up from the sales team over here at Baywa around the domestic content requirements and which manufacturers are in a position to meet those. Um, you know, that's that's still an open question because as of the time of the recording of this episode, we haven't received the guidance from the IRS that we would need to start to parse out uh, what those requirements are and who's going to be able to meet them. So we're going to be chatting more about the Inflation Reduction Act here in December, and hopefully we'll be able to answer some of those burning questions that people have about domestic content and domestic manufacturing. That makes me think of a conversation you and I recently had, Aaron, with JA Solar. They're one of the top manufacturers in the globally, I would say, and they are looking at those questions right now. Shall we jump over to our conversation with, with Thomas and Tosho at JA? All right, let's do that. And, you know, anyone who just started hearing from their Baywa sales rep about JA's residential product line is going to be really interested to hear some of the uh, points that come up in our conversation. So let's jump right in. All right, we're joined by Thomas Nielsen, Director of Sales over at JA Solar, and by Tosho Galitev. Uh, senior Engineering Support Manager at the JA Solar Team. Thanks, everybody. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So can you give us a brief history of JA and where they stand in the, the PV marketplace? Sure. Happy to do that. Yeah. So hello to everybody out there. My name is Thomas. I've been with JA since uh, 20, November 2015. So coming up on uh, seven years this month. At the time when I joined, Jay was moving about uh, 75 megawatts of product into the uh, U.S. market. Prior to building modules, Jay actually started as a cell manufacturer and it has, has been and was heavy on the R&D front. And a lot of the cell production went into a lot of the names that we're familiar with in the market today. Jay transitioned to module production probably around 2010, 2011, I want to say and slowly grew the business. It's a conservative company. That trend in, uh, in conservative nature has continued, and I'll kind of touch on that a little bit. But uh, the, its position in the U.S. market and globally has grown significantly from 75 megawatts in 2014 or 2015, I guess it was. Uh, the company is now moving about two gigawatts into the U.S. market. Wow. Um, next year, we'll move about uh, four gigawatts, and that will be with uh, J-owned production facilities in Vietnam, where we manufacture the, the ingot, the wafer, the cell, and the module. 
using uh, US-made polysilicon from Hemlock out of uh, Michigan. Jay's global uh, capacity is around 60 gigawatts. So the company has uh, really grown uh, and secured a position. And I would say the top five, probably the top three suppliers globally and our position in the US market in utility, commercial, uh, residential and distribution uh, continues to grow. Uh, we've got some more to do, I think, on the distribution front, but we're definitely getting there. Yeah, and we've been partnered with y'all for for a very long time, um, historically, primarily working with you to provide commercial modules for our customers, uh, modules that are generally geared towards larger projects. And, and that's been a super fruitful partnership. Um, but recently, we started offering residential modules as well. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, how that shift came about for your team and um, what's kind of... Uh, driving your strategy there. Yeah. The industry kind of went from the 158 millimeter size cell to the 166 and is now moving to the the 182 and the 210 millimeter cell. Jay had its manufacturing of 158 millimeter cells in Malaysia, and we essentially kind of leapfrogged the 166 to the 182. So I would say that we were a little behind uh, the market uh, in terms of product offering of that mid 350 uh, level product for a while. Uh, the market's now transitioned to a larger format, the 182 millimeter, which is a 390, 395, heading to a 400 watt product. And so now with JA having a size and a format that is competitive with the market, with a really good supply chain, with you know all JA owned from ingot to module in uh, Vietnam with uh, US polysilicon supply, means that we're really well positioned to provide modules to the market, modules that are competitive, modules that have a really uh, competitive supply chain for kind of the current policy environment in the U.S. and requirements for the U.S. market. Um, and so that means that we're we're kind of ready to start to service the residential market with a product that it wants uh, and that is at the kind of the tip of the spear in terms of standard efficiency or slightly higher efficiency product. And we've kind of spent a number of years uh, establishing our base as a supplier uh, to utility players in the market. Uh, and we've worked with all the leading EPCs and developers in the market. We've got a really strong portfolio of product uh, in, in both utility and commercial. And we have kind of entered the residential space with making sure that we're working with the key residential players so that we're we're on the AVLs that we need to be on. And now where we want to really tap into this partnership that we've had with Baywa for a long time to make sure that we are addressing the mid and the long tail uh, and a lot of the regional uh, installers that typically work with distribution to you know increase Jay's share of market in the residential space through Baywa. Uh, with this product, which uh, we think is is ready and 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 well suited to what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, we've definitely seen a lot of those long tail customers really excited about this product and um, starting to adopt it in a big way. So that's really awesome to hear that you guys are putting that at the top of your priority list. One of the things that I was curious about is that this is a larger wafer, so that's kind of impacted the module design. Can you speak to that at all? 
Yeah, I think I'll, I'll probably have Tosho chime in a little bit, but I mean, this the the increasing size of the wafer is kind of a somewhat of a, a normal uh, progression in terms of the way the modules develop in terms of efficiency. Uh, so we've seen kind of this step from the 158 to the 156 to the 150, 182. We also see 210 in the market. JA and a number of other manufacturers have kind of settled on the 182 millimeter and feel that that's kind of the uh, this the size that is optimized uh, for modules. We could see in a couple of years that the market shifts to maybe the 210 or a larger format, but I think we'll also see other uh, technology improvements uh, before we maybe go to a larger wafer, for example, uh, you know, the gapless technology or Topcon or something like that. But uh, Tosho, uh, just to throw the ball to you for a sec, is there is there something specific that's that's driving JA and much of the industry to a larger wafer size and hence a larger cell size, or is that just kind of like a natural progression? Uh, hello, everybody. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, yeah. So uh, the bigger wafer is a natural progression of the product itself. Uh, since the industry, the wafer growing industry could make larger surface wafers, uh, which making the product cheaper and more affordable, we can utilize those wafers uh, and make larger solar cells. Uh, so the solar cell technology has not changed substantially from two, three years ago, but the size of it has changed. So if you think of in terms of current and, and voltage, voltage is very similar to what we had before. Uh, for the amount of solar cells we have in the module, uh, the current has gone up so that the result is a much higher power output of that module for a certain specific amount of cells. But if you think about it, the surface of the module has become bigger. So that's how we get the higher power. Uh, but it is a very natural progression. And uh, like Thomas is saying, it is evolving towards gapless. It is evolving towards uh, different types of interconnecting the solar cell. And of course, the larger, the even larger wafer, uh, which could be utilized the 210 millimeters, which JA at the moment has no plans for it. But in the future, we do not know. And to that, I would add that our our ingot and wafer facility is capable of producing two ten uh, size uh, wafers and cells, and our and our module lines are capable of manufacturing modules with uh, two ten millimeter wafer and cells. But yep. um, again, we've settled on one eighty two as kind of the the optimum size. Yeah. There are, there are some disadvantages for the two ten, of of course. Uh, being the higher current because the larger surface of the solar cell gives you results in a very, very high current, which actually creates some problems in terms of system management and wire management, managing losses. Uh, that's why you would see modules, the solar cell not cut in half, but even cut into three pieces, actually, some even cut in four. So that's... The way to control, yeah, control the current from each the side. Current. Yep. Yeah. The current, yeah. The current is directly proportional to the size of the cell itself, to the surface area. So that's how you would reduce your current. Yeah. That's great. And now our customers will be really excited to hear about the optimization that you guys are doing in the background. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and one of the things that I, I know um, kind of comes up as cell size increases are concerns about fragility and things of that nature. Do you have any comments that you'd share with with folks, you know, as they're as they're making their own product decisions around um, something with, say, like more of an M6 
cell size compared to an M10 cell size? Have you all done tests to, to determine if there are any concerns on that front? We have done quite a lot of testing. Uh, JA is one of the companies which has an internal testing labs and testing. Uh, we, we have a product research department, which is uh, relatively large, and uh, there's quite a lot of testing going on. We also do a lot of testing in the US using third-party labs like PVEL and RTC. We see better product performance from the larger solar cell in terms of that uh, it is greatly improved uh, from uh, in the interconnection of the solar cells between them. So we now have 11 bus bars. Uh, we used to have nine, and it all started with two, then three, then four, then five, and then we went to the multi-bus bar product. Yeah, you can you can kind of tell how yeah. long it's been in the industry depending <laughs> on how many bus bars were common when you started, right? Yeah, yeah, it's that. <laughs> and uh, our version of tree rings, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually remember the five-inch solar cell. We even I've I've actually seen four-inch solar cells, which is <laughs> uh, we're now six, seven, eight. So, so in terms of performance, these new, newer modules are much better. And in order to keep the product in line with the wattage and the size of the, of the module, we have actually reduced the number of solar cells in the module. So a similar module with 158 solar cell would be 60 cell module. Now we are with the 182 millimeter wafer, we are at 54 cell module. So the size of that module is reduced, uh, but the wattage is actually higher than the 60 cell module. I don't think that makes sense, but uh, it's, it's mm -hmm. actually totally makes sense. a better performing module. We also have, uh, with the new designs, we're using gallium doped wafers, which actually have extremely low LID effect, light-induced degradation in the initial stages. Uh, it's pretty negligible. And uh, long-term performance of the module, uh, if you look at our warranty progression, we have been able to reduce our warranty degradation slightly for uh, the life of the product, which is 25 years, or uh, that's the warranted life. It will work much more, of course, because uh, there's nothing moving. 25 years for single glass and 30 years for double glass products, basically, in general, warranty for GA. That's great. So what types of things should folks know when they're designing a project with the S31 series? Uh, it is a 50 cell, uh, a 54 cell module. So you would expect to have the voltage comparable to a 54 cell module. So the voltage levels will be slightly lower than a 60 cell module. That's one of the, the things they should be watching. So when they're going mm -hmm. in and checking their voltage of the module, they should not be confused by the slightly lower voltage or thinking that there's an issue with the module. The current is increased the current is increased so using uh, if you're connecting your modules into a serial string so dazing the notch you would need to have a, a number 12 at least in order to to make your string if you need to number 10 of course for longer longer runs then yes the fuse size has also changed uh, that's for the string it is a bigger fuse size it's 25 amps used to be 20 else everything else is pretty much the same there's no new secret, <laughs> basically. <laughs> uh, one of the things which uh, JA did, one of the advantages of the module is the holes on, on the frame are the same 
for almost all series of modules. So we have a 54 cell module, we have 60 cell modules, which we don't sell here, but we can make. We have 66 cell modules, we have 72 cell modules and 78 cell modules. So the mounting holes of all of those modules, they're pretty much the same. And uh, so the distance between the holes from centered, they're the same. So we have 1200, 1400 uh, and 400 millimeter holes, basically. So you can utilize those holes to mount the module on a rail or clamping actually would be very similar to an older type module. Uh, however, you have to remember that given the size of the module, the modules are slightly bigger. So you will have to pay special attention to the maximum loading of that module. And depending on the requirements, building department requirements for that area, you might need to have a better support. To, so the modules don't float. The, we, we still have the standard 5,400 pascals down and 2,400 pascals up, but that's your loading of the module. So the module doesn't float in the air it has to be supported. So it's actually the support will really drive how much the module can carry. Like you mentioned, actually, the, the short rail support. Short rails, we have reduced the short rail. It's actually not the strength, but the flange on the bottom. So there's no more, you can no, you can no longer bolt the flange. There's nothing to bolt there. You can only clamp it on the top. And we typically don't recommend it because when you start clamping on the short side, your loading gets reduced dramatically. But if that's what the project calls for, and if the loading agrees with the design, then it's no problem uh, to clamp it on the short side, as long as you're not overloading it. That's that's the bottom line, basically. With 54 cell module, it's like a, it's more square, and it's more user-friendly in terms of you feel higher surface area you can easily do the surface area than big long piece which is rectangular which you might have issues so that's a very comprehensive overview of, of what folks should be keeping in mind that's that's fantastic thank you welcome sorry <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> that's, that's I, why we uh why we asked you all on this is great i sometimes keep on going and that's why we have thomas to, to stop me <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much tosho for that comprehensive overview you're welcome so, so Thomas, I know that you and I have been working together uh, with a lot of customers to try to get them converted over to JA. We've had some success, which is exciting. Can you speak a little bit to what the availability looks like going forward right now? Of course, we've got a lot of product in stock, which is exciting, especially the 395 series. Um, but what, what should we be looking at in terms of 2023? Uh, well, uh, Baywa has uh, put its POs in well into 2023, so we have production allocated to Baywa. I don't anticipate there being uh, an availability issue on, on that front. The residential market seems like it's uh, potentially softening a little bit due to interest rates in terms of demand. I think that'll be more of a, sh a, a short uh, and shallow dip, and then demand will pick up again. But the utility segment is really hot for next year. Uh, we have committed most of our production already for 2023 for the commercial and utility side of the business. And that, of course, impacts overall supply. Uh, that could well play, 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 come into play for other 
suppliers as well. So uh, in the residential space, we exist with the utility space. And when we think about capacity and supply of the U.S. market, we think in terms of production lines for the U.S. market. Every production right. line is around 35 megawatts. Mm -hmm. So uh, we don't really produce a line and a half. We either produce a line or we produce two. So we're either talking about for JA, for example, 35 megs of availability per month or 70 megs of availability per month. And if there's enough demand, then we bump up to uh, a second line. So that's something we kind of need to manage and talk about and work with you guys on what the overall demand portfolio looks like. But I think the, the, sh the short summary of that is the residential may be getting soft a little bit. Let's not let that lull us into complacency. It makes sense for both Baywa and its customers to make sure that you kind of have your supply secure through first half well into 2023. The standard kind of output right now is a 395 watt, and we'll see that start to progress towards a 400 watt, I think, in Q2. And then we'll see that shift over Q2, Q3 to probably a a you know 395 400 mix maybe even trending a little faster towards a 400 405 um, that depends somewhat on production line efficiencies and so forth but that's kind of as we look towards 2023 and into 2024 that's generally where the product is headed the product that we're sending to Baywa now is is the product that um, Baywa and your customers will receive throughout 2023. I don't think there'll be any major design changes. The next kind of design change on the horizon is a, a gapless product where we kind of just move the cells close together. I think that'll likely be uh, sometime in 2024 uh, where we see that. But uh, overall, I think supply is uh, good. For 2023, it's a, as we talked about, really solid supply chain for the U.S. market, competitive product. So everything is kind of lining up well on that front. Yeah, I, th I think we kind of just briefly touched on it earlier that you all um, have a supply chain that's dependent on um, Hemlock for your, your polysilicon raw materials. Do you want to expand a little bit on what the benefits are of that relationship and, and that arrangement and um, how that impacts your customers downstream? Yeah, there is recent laws on the book regarding the content of modules. There are content requirements for the U.S. market, and there are potentially many different ways that that, that can be fulfilled. There's certain areas of the world where companies should not be bringing silicon in or other componentries because of the law uh, on the U.S. books and for humanitarian reasons and so forth. The J, as I mentioned early on, is a conservative company. So we, we fortunately have a supply relationship with Hemlock, which is a U.S. provider of polysilicon. That polysilicon is manufactured in Michigan. It's shipped to Vietnam, where we make it into an ingot, into a wafer, into a cell, into a module. That is, from our perspective, the absolutely safest approach we can take for sending product to the U.S. market that will not get held or will not get held for an extended period of time uh, by customs CBP. It doesn't mean that it can't be held. Uh, and if folks are familiar with the, the law and the way CBP works, then uh, we as a, as a supplier and as an importer to the U.S. market need to provide documentation that uh, confirms the sourcing of that product, which we can do. We can provide that level of traceability. Uh, we're very confident in our supply chain, and we are fully comfortable with that, with that supply chain, the product that we're, be, we're bringing in being 
fully compliant. Having U.S. polysilicon is the best risk mitigation for JA, for Baywa, for your customers in terms of product getting held and maybe even getting sent out of the U.S. market. None of our product is going to get sent back out onto a boat across the sea out of the U.S. market. It's all compliant, and we have the documentation to prove that. So for customers who are aware of the law, who want stability of supply, uh, who want to ensure that their product doesn't get held up at the ports, doesn't get held up by CBP. If you're looking for risk mitigation, then Jay has hands down amongst the Asian manufacturers, the best supply chain for the U.S. market. And that's really kind of what it's about in terms of the polysilicon content. A, risk mitigation. B, uh, from a marketing standpoint, and something that I think your customers would want to talk to uh, with their customers about, is that a certain percentage of this product is U.S.-based, 30% or whatever it is. So um, we actually need to start putting a little American flag or something like that in our data sheets to indicate that it's a global product. It, there is a, a U.S. supply base, U.S. worker base that's that's going into the the J product uh, in advance of you know setting up uh, module assembly or cell assembly here, for example, cell production here. JA has been really strong. You've been able to maintain strong reliability uh, the past several months at a time when many other suppliers have struggled or run into bottlenecks with the import process. So I think that's a testament to the risk mitigation that you're doing with Hemlock. And just say, just wanted to say thank you for that. Awesome. It's our pleasure. We sleep well at night as well. We touched a little bit on, you know, what's what's coming down the pipeline in the more immediate sense in the next year or two. But looking further out, you know, I, I, I'm sure folks have, you know, seen articles about all different kinds of exciting solar tech, things like TopCon, or I can never quite say this right. Is it perovskite? I don't know, Tosho, if you want to correct me there. <laughs> Yeah, that's the solar cell technology, basically. The top cone, the heterojunction, perovskite crystals. Uh, basically, you would have uh, different technologies of how to make the solar cell. And uh, the solar cell, when you're building a solar cell, you have basically layers to create the semiconductor on top of the silicon wafer and on the bottom. So so you have different different technologies, which some of them yield high efficiency, but uh, higher price also. We... Jay, we have been experimenting with most of those technologies. Uh, like I mentioned before, we have a R&D department, which is uh, rather large, and they like to play with stuff. We have been experimenting with the TopCon technology. We have been experimenting with the heterojunction. We are excited about the TopCon technology, basically, which is a PERC solar cell. Uh, at the moment, currently, all of our solar cells are perked. Uh, so that would mean that uh, uh, we do use a P-type silicon wafer, uh, which is uh, actually created into a PERC-type solar cell. We are planning on continuing improvement to go to an N-type silicon wafer. Uh, that would be probably sometimes in 2024, late 2024. And uh, uh, after transitioning to an N-type wafer, we would be going to a top cone wafer, which is uh, a type of perk also, which, which slightly improves the efficiency of the solar cell. The heterojunction uh, solar cells, even though they're high efficient, uh, we and not we do not see them as being able to mass produce them. Uh, so Jay 
being a very large company, we mass produce all the solar cells. All of the solar cells are the same. We make only one type of solar cell at the moment, which is the JAP type perk uh, solar cell. We do not have different types. So that would continue to be true and making that many solar cells, uh, that many gigawatts of solar cells is very, very difficult with heterogeneous solar cells. So thank you, Tosha, for telling us about what's on the horizon uh, in terms of the next you know, technology that you guys are, are jumping into. Thomas, can you speak to any other broad plans that you have in the next couple of years? Hint, 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 domestic production. Yeah, happy to talk about that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, as we touched upon early earlier, Jay's present, presence in the U.S. market continues to grow, right? We're, we, we've moved from 75 megs annually to 1.3 to 2 this year to 4 gigawatts uh, next year. The next kind of big thing on the horizon, I think, uh, due to the Infrastructure Reduction Act, uh, or pardon me, Inflation Reduction Act, is uh, U.S. production. There's a number of manufacturers that are looking at this, uh, and Jay has plans on that front as well. And so we're targeting getting started with a facility sometime in, in mid-2024, I think, or second half of 2024 to tap into uh, the incentives in the, in that uh, legislation. And we'll probably start with one to two gigawatts with the ability to expand. Highly likely that we're producing both commercial utility and residential uh, for the U.S. market. And then we have the ability to expand that to maybe three to four gigawatts. We we might contemplate wafer or cell manufacturing in the U.S., although doing that is, is more complicated. There's um, increased energy demand, water needs, et cetera. So not an easy step to take, but moduling is fairly straightforward and, and we have plans to, to introduce mod, module production to the U.S. market sometime in 2024. Well, that's really exciting to hear. Um, and I know it's something that our installers will be really excited about too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of many ways that we're really aligned with you guys and, and very excited about the future. You guys are just such a fantastic partner and it's it's a real pleasure to get to work with you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so Thomas, Tosho, thank you so much for joining us for the Solar Tech Talk. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for the call today. Wow. It was great talking with Tosho and Thomas, huh? Those fellows are fantastic. I've worked with them both for many years now, and it's really exciting to see how their team has grown and how their company has grown in a way that really aligns well with, with what Baywall is all about. I agree. And I have to say, I really enjoyed learning more about how they're looking at the future of, of solar technology and you know what their, what their plans are. That's really exciting stuff. So I want to highlight really quick that we do have oodles of JA modules. So if that's something that you're interested, reach out to your sales rep, check the web store. We've got tons of JA 390s and 395s in warehouses across the country that are uh, available right now to, to stick on a roof somewhere. Absolutely. And we're hoping to be back in everyone's feed next month with an episode about the impacts of the Inflation Reduction Act as we um, predict them in 2023. And we'll also hopefully um, bring everyone a little bit of a retrospect on everything that happened in 2022. It was a super crazy year and we're excited to just kind of take a look back and see everything that was accomplished. Yeah. What's the use of writing the solar coaster if you can't look back and enjoy it? I know, right? Well, Aaron, lovely chatting with you as always, and I'll talk to you in December. 
Yeah, sounds good. I'll see you uh, at the metaphorical little photo booth that has our pictures as we were going down that big first hill. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, I'll see you then.